Welcome back, everybody, to the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. I'm Logan. I'm sufficiently drunk off of my pumpkin ales. And on the other end is Andrew, who, I don't know, maybe you're drunk. I'm not really up on the... No, I, I am enjoying um, Two Fingers of Jefferson's Ocean, which is a really good bourbon. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was about to say that sounds slightly more like a Nigel thing for a second there, but then you mentioned it was a bourbon, and I was like, ah, that makes sense. It's actually really cool. It's a bourbon where the guy puts the bourbon in barrels and then puts them on a ship and sails them around the world. Oh. And something about like the sailing and the rocking and like the sea atmosphere impacts and changes the flavors of the bourbon and it's i mean it's a really smooth bourbon oh it's time to bring up our new sponsor andrew do you want to talk about our new bourbon sponsor i would oh my god i'd end up dead (laughs) let's see yeah actually our new sponsor is me undies and those are very comfortable freaking me undies sponsors every podcast of course they'd sponsor this one yeah them and bombas Fucking love Bombas. Socks and underwear. I mean, who doesn't need both of those? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still looking for like a solid sponsor. We'll get back to that. And uh, maybe we should get whoever makes the jerseys for uh, Percy Harvin the third, because that looked a little too small. Uh, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I I just loved that the commentators listed him at like 250. That's not as right. A big boy. Which. <laughs> To be fair, the amount of injuries Tech had on the defensive line, I was ready to look up and see Harvin playing three technique. I would not be shocked. Honestly, if the guy can play quarterback, I think he can play whatever he dares to put his mind to. Yeah. But we need some big boys on the defensive line. Again, I just am like, we beat Florida State, and yet the biggest news on the internet was like, man, Georgia Tech has a thick punter. I'm like, yeah. That's what we're about. No one one believed us. Like, for (laughs) multiple years, we've been like, guys, we lead the country in thick punters. Like, come on now. (laughs) He's a big boy, you know? Like, the team was terrible last year, A, which meant we punted a lot. So it was prime time for you to get an eye full of thick punter. (laughs) And then he threw a touchdown pass against Miami. I, yeah, that's the thing that disappoints me is everybody missed the touchdown pass because I'm we were pretty sure that was the longest touchdown pass of the season for us. Yeah, because nobody was paying attention and everybody missed it. And that was like a great pass too. Oh well. What are you, what are you gonna do? Alright. So we can't talk about punters all day. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can. I don't know a lot of punters. How many punters can you name off the top of your head? Um in the NFL or Georgia Tech? Either or. Um, Percy Harvin, third. It's Presley Harvin, actually. Press, sorry, I keep calling him Percy after um, the return, the turn man, though. That was uh, the, the he was out of Florida. I think we had one named Sean Tobin at one time. He's a pretty good dude. Um, J.K. Scott was the really good one at Alabama for a while. Uh, Goskowski's uh, heading that way since he can't make a field goal anymore. <laughs> That was sad. Well, it was. It's even worse because you like everybody's like, "Oh, he missed four field goals." And I'm like, "Dude, we had four blocked, but you just straight we up had three. We had three blocked. We had three blocked. You just straight up missed four. <laughs> like as an NFL kicker, come on, man. Whoop. All right, so all right, let's get down to he the real. Be a really fat punter, but I can't remember. Like in the NFL, I think he punted for the Ravens, but I can't remember his name. 
his name was Mount Cody, I believe. Yeah. Probably. Lord knows that man could do everything. Actually, that's that's not true, and I think he got arrested for something bad. But I, I'm not going to get into that right now. Instead, let's ta- let's talk about our favorite topic, uh, the Big Ten, who have decided that they do want to play football this year because, well, I don't know. I'm making assumptions here, but I would assume because money. You know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think money did play an active, big, huge role in it. Like, I'm not going to discount that. But I think a ton of it about, um, uh, you know, I think there's a huge part of all the other conferences were doing it. And so there was a lot of pressure put on the Big Ten by parents, by players, by fans that were all talking about, like, hey, wait a minute. Um, why why are these other conferences playing and we're not like uh, the the Big Ten especially really kind of botched their release of it because they didn't they never really provided any information that they're like this is something that only we know and this is why we made this decision and why like other conferences made the decision to play I will say I will say it was kind of unusual they released their schedule I think like a few days before they immediately decided to cancel the season and I feel like they just didn't think it through like they just they just kind of jumped on the decision making and were like, no, we're canceling it and nothing can change our minds and that's it. And then they so it, it seems like they're being the kings of snap decisions. They just like, well, because they were before they were like, oh well, we're gonna cancel it because it doesn't look good. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, things are looking better, so let's go ahead and restart it like in the next couple of weeks. Which I know I think. Is it the Sun Belt? There's another conference that's playing in the springtime, right? Uh, it's not I thought the, the the Mid American was ah the the MAC the return of the MAC yeah, yeah I, I think the MAC's gonna play in the spring okay but yeah that I mean Big Ten could theoretically do that too I mean I mean the other argument is you know playing in the spring and you know don't at me Mid American conference fans but. The Max probably not going to put a team in the playoffs, so them playing in the spring is just kind of hey, let's get a season in. Whereas the Big Ten actually does lose something because it takes Ohio State out of the playoff conversation. And I, yes, Big Ten, I refuse to acknowledge any other team in your conference that might be in the playoff. It does make things more complicated. This was kind of going to be my next discussion. Is like, so now that they're back in it, do they just immediately jump into the rankings, or does it take like a couple of weeks? for them to kind of fall in line. I know they're going to try and figure out this schedule so they can squeeze everything in before the playoffs, but it's really going to confuse, I I think, the setup for the rankings and for the end of the year to have to kind of figure these things out uh, as time moves along. Um, Because it's it's just going to lead to more complicated decision-making. Frankly, it frustrates me. And I'm kind of worried now that the Pac-12 is going to try and try and jump in on it as well. But uh, I don't know how you feel about the. Obviously, I think from your perspective, you really only care about Ohio State. But I'm not sure how you feel about the other Big Ten teams sucking up into the top 25 rankings and affecting the other teams that are already up there. Andrew, I think I think the the week after the first games you'll see them jump back into the ranking i don't think they'll jump them into the ranking before that because they i'm sure they want to at least see something being played 
Um, and obviously you've got to overrank Michigan and you've got to overrank teams that Ohio State plays so that Ohio State can justify their high ranking just like the SEC does. Um, but yeah, I think the Pac-12 will probably jump in eventually too. I was reading, I think the Big Ten's going to play like eight straight weeks of football. And then it was kind of cool, their championship weekend, what they're going to do is they're going to match up like each team's cross-division finish. So like the first team in the West is going to play the first team in the East. The second team in the West is going to play the second team in the East. And like that's going to be their championship weekend is they're going to just line those teams up and have them play each other. So we will absolutely know like who the worst team is when Rutgers plays whoever finishes at the bottom of the West. So it's Rutgers. Okay, great. Thanks. Honestly, like, if Rutgers could lose twice, they would probably be there. Like, honestly, you could do, like, an inner squad scrimmage between Rutgers for the bottom spot. Yeah. Don't at me, Rutgers fans. <laughs> I'm not upset about the Rutgers oh, thing. Of you. I'm just, I'm still upset about the idea that they're just going to try and jump in. And I am worried that, like you're talking about, we're going to see teams that have kind of earned it and have started winning just be jumped by teams like Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, who just kind of like showed up and were like, oh yeah, we're good too. We we know we haven't played anybody for comparison's sake. We've only played Big Ten teams, but... Yeah, put us in the top 25 because that's where we deserve no, to be. but, I mean, you can make that same argument with, with the SEC. I mean, they're only playing within the SEC, so your your preseason rankings inertia is going to carry a lot more weight than normal. You know, you're going to rank Auburn 8 so that when someone beats them, they can be like, oh, we beat number 8 Auburn, even if they end up being garbage. Well, I think the key difference, at least this season, would just be that um, those teams were ranked as the game started being played. Now you're talking about a bunch of teams that weren't in the system, and now all of a sudden you're going to shuffle the deck, as it were, and be like, well, we know that all these other teams were in the top 25, but I guess they're getting kicked out now because we got to put Michigan and Michigan State and uh, I don't know. I don't want to piss off a bunch of fans, but like, you know, Iowa, you know, stuff like that. Or those teams are somehow going to end up in there. Nebraska will so, be like 25 for some reason. Oh, yeah. There were six Big Ten teams in the AP Top 25 preseason. Ohio State 2, Penn State 7, Wisconsin 12, Michigan 16, Minnesota 19, and Iowa 24. Um, to me, Ohio State, it may be Penn State. Um, I don't really know a lot about Wisconsin. I know nothing about Michigan. I know Minnesota has really been trending upwards since they've started rowing the boat. But yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to say, you know, oh, Minnesota, you're – because I, I think Minnesota's in the west, so that's a tough division. You know, everyone talks about the east, which they should with, with Penn State, Ohio State, and to a lesser extent Michigan and, and Michigan State. But I think there's a lot of parity a little bit in the west too because you get Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin that are all kind of pretty – solid good programs um you know everyone wants nebraska to get better uh, and then you also have that random year that northwestern wins 10 games that happens every couple of years i mean i think it's not unreasonable if we're doing talking about preseason uh because i think you want the top three teams from both divisions and arguably that would be wisconsin minnesota and iowa in the west and then in the east it'd probably be ohio state penn state and uh I guess Michigan State? I don't know. 
That's tough. I don't know how I feel. They've got a new coach. I don't really know a lot about what they brought back. And I just – I don't have a lot of faith in Michigan ever taking that next step under Harbaugh to really be a true challenger to Ohio State. Well, I guess so – I really, I really think it's Ohio State and Penn State. Although uh, Ohio State needs to stop losing to Purdue. Yeah, the argument becomes who's the third best in the East. And it's like I just don't have any faith in Michigan. But at the same time – the problem isn't that they can't beat other teams. They can beat other teams. They just can't beat Ohio State. So you're just kind of like, ah, that weighs well, on you. I mean, you know, you know, it's not going to be Maryland, Rutgers, or is it Illinois and Indiana? Like, yeah, it's not, not going to be any of them. It's not going to be them. Don't, yeah, we're not going to worry about that. The interesting thing, though, I do find it funny is the AP dropped all of the Big Ten teams out of their Week Three ranking. What they really should have done is drop all of the SEC teams out as well. And basically anybody that didn't play a game should not have been ranked in week three. You're just up, you're just upset that Georgia Tech didn't get ranked. Was, uh, we, we were receiving votes, motherfucker. We got we got 69 votes, actually, which is per, which is uh, nice. We are per, Actually, in the coaches' poll, we are currently 26th. Oh. Uh, we are 28th in the AP poll. If memory serves, you don't show up outside of the top 25, though. But yeah, that's. No, I mean, you just—I mean, others receiving votes is in the bottom, and then you just kind of do the math. Yeah, you basically. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I'm not going to complain too much. I, I think I think it'll be. I it just frustrates me that we're having this like step in kind of year, and that even then maybe in a sense that when you're having a year where the other teams aren't even really playing each other, that you're having a playoff scenario. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I'm probably being I'm being uh, an old man who's getting upset that the kids are on my lawn right now. So <laughs> you're yelling at clouds. At yeah, I mean seriously though. I, I I don't know. The AP poll is bullshit. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I've <laughs> I've turned into my father. So yes, this is what's happening now. <laughs> Although I will say, I, I am proud of my dad. He's become an avid Georgia Tech fan since there's nothing else to cheer for. I think, <laughs> let me describe Let me describe a text that he sent me uh, earlier today. He was, uh, he was asking, he's like, oh man, I'm excited to see they're putting some fans in the stadium, which I think, uh, I don't know if you saw my comments earlier where I was like, oh sweet, Georgia Tech's going to have some stands in the upper, fans in the upper decks. So it's going to look like just every other Georgia Tech home game that we've ever had. It's yeah, fantastic. Like, hey, 25,000 fans. I mean, we do a little bit better than that some weeks, but I wouldn't say we do that much better than that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I basically was saying, you know, I'm hoping that the extra cheering will help, but UCF will be a different kind of challenge than FSU. And his response was, yes, but Georgia Tech has confidence right now. They have a free flow on offense and defense. I got a lot of faith in them. And I'm like, damn, he's got more you faith know, in them than I do. That's, that's how we know that your dad is a new Georgia Tech fan, because he has <laughs> faith in them doing something. <laughs> Those of us that are old, grizzled, you know, Georgia Tech fans know that our team's greatest weakness is expectation. Well, see, he's lived through the Alabama wonder years. I think he used to know what it was like back in the 90s, but now he's been like, he's had so many national championships in his life, he's just kind of like, Disillusioned by it, he's like, just, just tell him to remember the Mike Shula years in Alabama, <laughs> and that's pretty much the entirety of, of being a Georgia Tech fan. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, we don't fire Mike Shula and hire Nick Saban. We don't. We also don't throw 
bricks through coaches' windows uh, that I'm. They did to Bill Curry. That I'm aware of. Um, Um, Bill Curry actually, having left Georgia Tech to take that Alabama job. I remember that, yeah, and uh, I think it didn't go very well for him. Well, you know, I think the crazy thing is he actually was decent. Um, The problem is he was at Alabama. Yeah. And I, but I don't think he could beat Auburn. I think is what hurt him a lot. Uh, I mean, um, yeah. So like he went, he went twenty six and ten at Alabama. He went seven and five, nine and three, and ten and two, and he got fired after a ten and two season. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, uh, saying, I, I think he couldn't beat Auburn. Uh, people, yeah. I mean, that makes or breaks a campaign. He actually had the highest winning percentage among Alabama coaches since Bear Bryant, which has probably changed since Saban's come. Uh, yes, it has changed significantly. But, yeah, I mean, you make a fair point. He he did very well for himself, just not well for, I guess, what Alabama fans oh, consider. Oh, actually, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got an update on the Bill Curry situation. Allegedly, and this is per Wikipedia, so check your sources, kids. It says in early 1990, Alabama tendered Curry a new contract which contained provisions he disliked, including no raise and removal of his power to hire and fire his assistants. Curry was particularly upset by this because he had led the Tide to a share of its first SEC title and its first major bowl appearance since the Bryant era. He responded by accepting an offer to become the head coach at the University of Kentucky. (laughs) So he pulled the... he would then go 26 and 52 at Kentucky. <laughs> so he pulled the opposite of a Bear Bryant. Instead of going to Kentucky and then coming to Alabama, he went to Alabama and was like, fuck this, went to Kentucky and lost a bunch of games. Love it. Uh, his, best, his best season at Kentucky was in 1993 when he went 6-6. and six. They finished third in the East and they lost in the Peach Bowl to Clemson. <laughs> of course. Oh, well. Yeah, that's not the worst fate in the world. He he still he still did did pretty well as a coach, I would say overall. Yeah, yeah. he did. He went six and five in his first season as the Georgia State head coach. Um, unfortunately, he would then go three and eight in two thousand eleven and one and ten in two thousand twelve. Oh yeah, hmm. those minor details. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Um, not hire Bill Curry. Apparently. Apparently, I think I think most people have kind of gotten on that train now. But that might be more because he's old than because he's not uh, good. Also, allegedly, when Georgia Tech hired Dan Radakovich to be the athletic director, the final two guys were him and Curry, and a lot of the old big money donors wanted Bill Curry. Hmm. I allegedly. Mean, allegedly, we have no evidence of that. No, of course we actually. I mean, I don't, but I mean, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. So, since we're already talking about, well, I guess we're really more talking about Bill Curry at this point, but since we started talking about Georgia Tech, um, I know this is a hard topic for you because I'm pretty sure you actually, like, have a secret desire to see Jeff Collins get fired, but um, with that said, how, how did you feel about the first game where we... Look, look, look I want to I clear this up. I do not care... For Jeff Collins, stick. Uh, it's, but I also understand that it's not for me. You know, Jeff Collins is who he is to recruit seventeen-year-old kids. Uh, do you remember? I, I forget, what was his fucking nickname? They said like DJ uh, Jazzy. Jeff, 
DJ Jazzy Jeff or some bullshit? Like, he first and foremost is a salesman, and I get that. I'm not buying his product. I can't stand the way he does it. But if he wins games, I don't care. (laughs) I want Tech to win games. If even if I hate the head coach, as long as they win games, that's what matters to me. Um, I was really surprised and impressed by Jeff Sims. He definitely had a look of poise that I don't think you see in freshman quarterbacks very often. Now he made two really dumb freshman mistakes. But yeah, on the two interceptions. Key key word there is freshman. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I like you know he didn't seem to scatter. He didn't seem to rattle. You know, I was really surprised the offensive line blocked somebody. I will also say, though, and I don't want this to go understated, because I think a lot of people kind of forget this. Keep in mind that he made those mistakes, and then the game was delayed for, like, an hour. (laughs) So maybe he kind of got over it in that time. Maybe he's like, you know what? I don't know. That second interception was significantly worse than the first one. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying, like, the dude had time to kind of, like, come to terms with his bad decision-making. So um, I think I th- honestly my favorite throw was the one to Azard on the on the sideline. Oh yeah! Um, I actually, I actually went back and watched that play. Um, that was a continuation. So it was we ran a smash route. It looked like which is the outside receiver runs a hitch, the inside receiver runs a corner. Yep. And it looks like when Sims kind of stepped out of the pocket, Azard broke off the hitch and extended the the, the route vertically. And Sims just dropped a beautiful ball right over the um, kind of hook flat defender. I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, just dropped it right over the guy's, you know, jumping arms into the receiver. Like, that was a pretty throw. Um, we ran a counter RPO where he hit um, Jalen Camp on a great one where he threw it where only Camp could get the ball. Um I mean, I liked a lot of his throws. I liked his athleticism, too. Well, you know, he ran well. Again, and this is just me. Um, I also don't want it to go understated. Our wide receivers looked pretty good, too. They were making plays, and they were doing their best oh, to yeah. make catches. And, you know, this would be a given on most teams, but seeing as how we are still coming back from the flex bone, I think it's kind of good to see that our – let's say that they're taking initiative, that our wide receivers are actually putting in – extra effort to try and go and catch the ball. They're not just running their routes and hoping that the ball lands perfectly in their hands. So I do I think, think the big thing the big thing that impressed me with the wider is, is looking at like Malachi Carter and and Jalen Camp and just how big and physical they were. Oh yeah. I mean they just both just I mean Camp especially just looked like just rocked up dude. Well and he was pushing around like I forget what the play was, but I think he had one where he had to come back to the ball, and it felt like he wasn't really pushing around. I know that's not a literal term, but it's like he just kind of manhandled the ball in front of the defender, and I was just like, wow, that's kind of... Um, I really like Carter's touchdown because basically he ran a vertical route, Sims under through the ball, and instead of trying to fight back through the defender to catch it, Carter just kind of stepped back, let the defender run by him, and then turned and caught the ball. <laughs> yeah, Which see, is a very kind of veteran play with the ball in the air. Well, yeah, and he adjusted. I think that's the part that impresses me, is the adjustments they're making to the ball rather than, again, what we've seen kind of in the past is like, uh, <laughs> it sounds kind of silly for those who are familiar with football, especially pro football, 
But when the receiver's like out in the open is like looking for where the ball is, that's that's kind of the rookie mistakes. Whereas what sets you apart is being able to make a play and make a decision on how the ball is thrown to change your the way you act, you know. And that's kind of what sets the pros apart. And I saw a significant amount of that, I would say, from from receivers who I did not expect to have that much experience. So I'm I'm excited. Um, yeah, I mean the, the offense looked head and shoulders better than I expected it to. You but, know, I mean, we gave up one sack to a Florida State defensive line that's probably going to have two first round picks. You know, and we even ran the ball pretty. You know, Jordan Mason's a grown man, like he always is. Well, and the defense was serviceable. Um, I don't want to make too yeah. much. I don't want to make too much of it because I was expecting that to be the part where Georgia Tech was really strong anyway. Was the defense, and they weren't like bad, but they weren't amazing either. So I mean, they just they did yeah, all right. You know, there's some uh, Miles Sims. I really liked what I saw from him at corner. I think he played well. I mean, obviously, you know, Curtis Ryan's had the two sacks, which is always cool and, and good to see. You know, we still struggled with some fits. We still struggled with some some linebackers playing with our eyes and getting the right place. But, I mean, again, I, I think the team just in general looked better. I mean, outside of field goal. So, um, obviously, I go to you for the actual football insight. We haven't seen UCF this season yet, so that we're not entirely sure what to expect. But what should we expect in that game uh, with them coming up to Atlanta? Obviously, fans aren't going to be playing a big factor, as we joked earlier, but... Uh, you know, what should we expect to see out of UCF? Probably a higher tempo offense from what we saw from FSU. Oh, yeah. and um, They've got sophomore quarterback Dylan Gabriel, who actually played pretty well as a true freshman last year. He set UCF's freshman passing record uh, over 3,000 yards. Again, I do agree with you. I think we're going to see a, a much faster, you know, higher tempo offense. I mean, that's kind of what UCF's done since – Scott Frost was there, then, you know, Frost goes to Nebraska, and they bring in Josh Heupel, and Heupel's kind of done the same thing on offense. Uh, I do think, I was reading somewhere, that UCF lost a bunch of guys from last year and have had a bunch of guys uh, opt out of the season. So I think it'll be kind of interesting. Uh, Their defense was the one that I was reading about, has uh, some questions on the defensive line because guys have, have opted out and guys have graduated. So that'll really be kind of the question i mean it's going to be can our defense do enough to slow them down and can our offense do enough to to score enough points you know not to john bat the game when you know if you score more points than the other team you're gonna win the game but just one of those ideas of you know the offense has to be able to move the ball and and yeah they played all right against florida state but you still only scored 13 points well i guess my other thought would be i was really worried about the defense going into this game because i think you know, I don't think UCF's defense has ever been anything that's like mind shattering, but I thought that they were a team with more experience. And knowing now that a lot of guys aren't playing or have graduated, uh, it does give me a little more optimism. But yeah, I mean, we still got to perform. Obviously, that's uh, kind of the thing. It does make it a little easier that you don't have to travel. Um, but uh, yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah, I see. Think, I think playing at home is a good thing. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I think we came out of the the Florida State game relatively uninjured. I don't think we had a lot, any real big-time injuries impact us, so I think that'll be good. We should be pretty healthy. Hopefully, you know, we had some D-line injuries against Florida State, so we did have to go deeper on the defensive front, especially at the tackle spot, than we really wanted to. Unfortunately, uh, T.K. Chemedsta, who is expected to be a 
a pretty solid part of that defensive tackle rotation is done for the season. Ouch. So that's going to hurt. I mean, you know, that's where the stop in the run starts is, is how well your tackles play. So it'll be interesting to see with that. Um, but, yeah, and as the guys play, they get better and the better. Um, Trey Swilling didn't play. He's a, probably our top corner. Didn't play against Florida State, so it'll be interesting to see if he's back healthy. But, again, I think Miles Sims covered really well, and we've got some depth at corner, so it's not as big of a, a question of need. Yeah, I think – I think the corners are going to get better. My issue is always the rush because um, we just don't we don't have that high of a havoc rating, which i.e. you know blitzing, pressuring the quarterback kind of uh, rating. And I think I think we did okay against FSU, but m- mainly I think that was because the right tackle got injured sometime in the second half, and that really you know. Against for an O line that was already pretty weak, to have that injury is huge with getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see from a Georgia Tech perspective how we come out and show because this will be the first real challenge. And who knows if we do well? I mean, this might set up for a pretty good season. So this is the big game. this is the big one, I guess. We got to see how it turns out optimistically. Uh, I got money riding on UCF, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> You know, you know my policy. Like, put your money on the opponent. That way, you can always be I mean, happy yeah. if you lose the money. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, so, but uh, there are some other games going on this weekend. Um, I mean, I think there's only one, as we pointed out earlier, primetime matchup with two ranked opponents. But I do think there's a lot of low-key, interesting matchups. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about Navy and Tulane being on. ABC, especially when Syracuse and Pitt are on the ACC network. But that's our noontime kickoff. Uh, We also have Houston at Baylor on Fox, which could potentially be an interesting matchup. I don't know. And uh, I I used to care about Tulane a lot more before really Fritz fired his offensive coordinator. I was was thinking, um, you know, now that they're like – I didn't realize that Tulane's like the third biggest city in Oklahoma, which makes me wonder what the second one is. You mean Tulsa? Oh, you're damn it! Because because Tulane University is in New Orleans. I already I always get those two confused. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Um, fun Tulane facts. I believe they are the only university in U.S. history to go from public to private. Um, I think you confused the word fun. Uh. I'm not sure what you would have used in that place of that, but that's not Thank yeah. Subscribing to Tulane facts. <laughs> Tulane was also a founding member of the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Georgia State also has a chance to upset Louisiana and beat the team Apparently, that beat Iowa State. Tulane and Georgia Tech have a rivalry that's important enough to have its own Wikipedia page. Yeah, you didn't know about that, dude. I did. I, fun facts, Logan. You subscribed to Tulane facts. I'm giving you Tulane facts. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I guess, you know, I kind of started into this week. We should probably talk about last week and how your faith in the Big 12 ended up screwing them over. Why did you say you had to go and jinx Iowa State by being like, oh, they're going to make it. They they got a good chance this year. They could do it. And then they lose to Louisiana of all teams. So, which, I mean, to be fair, the Raging Cajuns aren't nothing to snuff at, but uh, 
probably shouldn't have lost that game. Uh, I think they were ranked, like, what, Iowa State was ranked 20th in the nation at the time. I don't think they should have lost that game. Um, let's see. But other than that, I think it was pretty straightforward. Uh, Clemson ran all over Wake. Yeah, uh, I mean, Clemson does what Clemson does. Duke and Notre Dame was actually pretty interesting for the first half. And then Notre Dame, I think the talent just kind of showed through in the second half. Which, you know, again, to be expected. I think Notre Dame just has yeah. way more talented recruits than what Duke is able to pull. Well, I think Chase Bryce looked good. The, the transfer quarterback at Duke, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of adjust and play as the season continues. They play Boston College this week, which will be an interesting game because everyone expects Boston College to be terrible. So if this is one where Duke, you know, kind of they're a six-point favorite, you know, if they, if they hold serve and, and win kind of going away, and you can go, all right, Notre Dame was just the better team. If Boston College comes in and, you know, smacks Duke, then you go, oh, shit. Well, I do think Boston College has a tendency to upset Duke or, like, maybe just teams from North Carolina in general. But, uh, yeah, I do think Boston College has a pretty good record against Duke overall. Um, let's see. North Carolina. It will, be weird. it will be weird to watch that game if we do because the the offense at Boston College, I think, is going to shift to more of a spread, which I don't think we've ever seen Boston College run that kind of offense. Not for the past five years. They've been power – power run game all day well, long they've actually been this really weird and they were kind of fun to watch because they were this weird like super up-tempo um pro style which you you never really see well and, you know, you, but you, i think you, it was be- never... i think it was also because they had very durable backs and i think that was what Honestly, they focused on recruiting had those kind of, i mean they've kind of built their offenses around thick offensive linemen and 17 tight ends. Oh, for sure. I mean, they've put a lot of emphasis on the run game. So I think they definitely always manage to kind of keep that focus in mind. They focus on a big O-line. They focus on a strong run game and a power run game. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not shocked. Uh, It'll be interesting to see, though. I mean, this is a method they've done before, I think, when they had uh, Flutie, right? They they did kind of a spread-style offense. But, I mean, I wasn't alive when Doug Flutie played at Boston College, so. Yeah, so I mean, but it'll be interesting to see. And I, actually, the only the only Doug Flutie game I've ever seen was the huge comeback against Miami. Well, I think that's the one that most people have seen. Well, didn't he play in the pros for a few years? I don't even remember. But yeah, he was. Uh, it'll I mean, be. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he was better in Canada than than he was in the NFL. That's true about a lot of people. Uh, think a lot of LSU quarterbacks specifically uh but uh yeah I mean I'm excited to see how Boston College comes out of the gates but it'll probably take if it's anything like Jeff Collins it'll probably take a few years to get it running but we'll see oh I I do I would be interested to see that game last week though as I was saying before I got drunk and distracted uh North Carolina they kind of started out slow against Syracuse, and I was really worried about them for a bit. It was funny. I know y'all saw me out in uh, the work office while I was uh, doing that out on the line. We had a guy who was betting on the game, and he would get upset every five minutes and be like, North Carolina's not winning by enough. I'm putting it on Syracuse. And then Syracuse would like start falling away, and he'd be like, I'm putting more money on North Carolina. And then North Carolina wouldn't <laughs> score as much as he wanted. So he'd be like, I'm putting it back on Syracuse. It's- 
it was just funny to watch him flip every five seconds. But yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. North Carolina did kind of the same that they did last season. You know, really turn it on in the fourth quarter. I think oh. I saw the stat during the game that they they had the third most points or the high third highest point differential in the fourth quarter of any team, and the other two were like Clemson and LSU. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina is definitely a fourth quarter team, and they definitely have proven that over the years, but or at least the past few years. I don't know. We'll see. I just so hope. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and go into this week. I mean, I wanted to just cover any games we missed from last week, but, I mean, most of them were pretty much as we expected. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. What's their low-key game for this week? Uh, SMU North Texas. It's the 6 o'clock CBS Sports Network game. Oh, yeah. Huh. And, I mean, I think these are two high-flying offenses. So that'll be, you know, North Texas has played one game. Uh, they beat Houston Baptist, but they had 720 yards. I was actually thinking a different one for my high-flying offense. I was looking at App State Marshall at the 330 game on CBS. That could be another high-flying game, although I think App State did pretty well last week. They put up they put up 35 against Charlotte, so I don't know. Maybe not as high-flying as I thought, but I think that could be good. But, yeah, North Texas with the spread offense has been fantastic. SMU, I mean, SMU Sunday. Nights, which is like old school, old school air raid. Oh yeah, no, I think I think that could be. You could be looking at a 50, 60 point game. Yeah, fifty sixties. So it should be interesting to see. I'm not. And you've got you know, Texas transfer Shane Bichelle the quarterback at SMU. Well, and the other thing is there aren't really any other big games going on at that time. I think we'll be watching UCF. We'll be watching the end of UCF Georgia Tech, but. After that, I mean, there's an hour and a half gap between Miami and Louisville, so that's pretty much the only game on at 6 o'clock. Um, it should be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, boss, we talked about Boston College Duke. Are we expecting anything out of UCF going to Notre Dame? Or USF, sorry? USF? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we shouldn't. I mean, if, if we do, then maybe the question is, is Notre Dame really that good? Um, I think USF is... I th- I'm pretty certain they're on a new coach again. Yeah, I mean that wouldn't shock me. I don't think I don't think they're as talented as they were. I think four years ago. No. Um, no, I mean they beat Citadel twenty-seven to six, but uh, I mean that's really just kind of what it is. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be blown away. Well, that said, we lost Citadel at some point, so but um, we beat but we beat South Florida last year. So, <laughs> so, so you know these things happen. I am disappointed. The game I really wanted to see this week: twenty-one BYU versus twenty-two Army. That got postponed. I feel really bad about that because I wanted to see if Army could deliver where Navy could not. Or Navy could not, yeah, that would have been really, especially because Army's, I mean, Army's flying pretty high. Did you see any of the highlights from the Army-Monroe uh, game? <sighs> no, I heard, what I heard, I heard on the radio, you know? Where, so, uh, where Army's, um, like, 250-pound B-back rumbled, like, 40 yards for a touchdown. Oh, that would have been great to see. But... Oh, my God, it was beautiful. Oh, it was, it was just option perfection. Let's see. And I think uh, the other two 
going back to you know the games next week, I think the only other two that I'm looking at are Miami and Louisville, which let's get to that in a second. But the other one is Wake Forest at NC State, which Wake Forest has had a tendency to upset NC State recently, and I think they're going to be looking for vengeance after that game they just had against Clemson where they got their tails kicked in. So Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest issue with Wake is I know a lot of their their good, like their better players, like their better running backs and their better wide receivers, I think, opted out of the season. So I think that's kind of hurt them. I mean, it's Clemson, so I'm not sure how much it really would have mattered. I mean, that's really but, the thing is I don't even know that they would have planned. <laughs> I don't... As a coach, going into that, knowing that you don't have a lot of players and knowing that you're playing Clemson, how much do you just shrug and go, you know what, we're just going to plan to play for next week? Because I, I wouldn't be going into that being like, well, half my team's not playing and we're playing the number one team in the nation. <laughs> you know, I'm going to really go in and try to win this matchup. I would just be like, fuck it, let's just play the next week and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I know nothing about NC State. I know they were picked like towards the bottom of the ACC. So, yay. <laughs> they've, they've lost a lot of talent, especially on offense. And I think they've also had a bunch of people sit out for the COVID thing. So, yeah, I don't really know what to say about NC State because I think a lot of it's going to depend, oddly enough, on their defense. But I just don't have any real notes based off what happened last year and based on the players that are out about how good that defense is going to be until I see them in their first game. I just think it's another one of those games, kind of like last week where we talked about, you know, FSU and Georgia Tech was a good example, where it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be complete chaos, and that tends to be entertaining when it comes to college football. So, It's very true. Uh, so I'll be excited to see that. So the other one, the one that you're actually interested in talking about, uh, and that you have some facts to back up. Miami at Louisville. Um, I really don't know. Miami did not look great last week. I mean, they won, but they didn't look like amazing against. Uh, I don't even remember who they played. UAB. UAB, that's right. Uh, and again, I don't even remember who Louisville played, but they're ranked, so it must have been somebody. Yeah. The biggest take two takeaways from in my opinion about the the Miami UAB game is that Miami struggled to stop the run I mean UAB really was able to, to get the run going and and you know control the ball a little bit now the flip side of that is UAB couldn't stop Miami Miami for 337 yards <laughs> like that's a lot of yards but for it's, it's funny I'm, I'm actually I don't like Miami but I think I've said on this podcast multiple times how much I love Link, um, Rhett Lashley, their offensive coordinator. Yeah. Watching them at UAB, you you saw a lot of that, like, Gus Malzahn, you know, kind of offense. You know, you saw a lot of – which and, and people get really – I think get it wrong when they talk about, like, Malzahn as an aired-out offense. No, I mean, Malzahn really wants to run the ball. And, and I think Miami really established that in their game. You know, they, they got out, they ran the ball, and they kind of controlled the game and did what they wanted to do. Um, 
I think Louisville is kind of the same thing. And they were pretty, you know, they threw for 343 yards, which Malik Cunningham's a pretty good quarterback. I think we all kind of thought that coming in. But their defense struggled to stop Western Kentucky. You know, I mean, it was, it was 35-21, so they kind of pulled away. But I think early on, that was that was a game. So this might be just a really fun, high-scoring game. Louisville's a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home, I believe. So that's probably what it is. It's probably kind of a picket game, and Louisville gets the, the favorite because they're at home. But I think this will be a lot of fun to watch, and especially from an offensive standpoint, I think it really will be a high-scoring game. You know, I say that winner will be like 14-10. to 10. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem is when you say that kind of stuff, it ends up being a defensive powerhouse game. I do think it'll be interesting to see, uh, I think, more from a kind of a development standpoint. They did put up a similar amount of yards and similar amount of points. And really, kind of as you pointed out, Louisville's only getting the field goal advantage. So it's hard to say. I would say last week Louisville played – a slightly more talented opponent in Western Kentucky. I don't know. That might be a controversial statement, but uh, yeah. And they did sufficiently well, but it was very similar games, similar opponents, similar score. This is just a pretty much a straight up matchup. Um, I don't, I don't know. It'll be, I guess it'll come down to whoever controls the ball more. I'm not even going to say about offense or scoring. I think it's just going to come down to, uh, who can, you know, run the ball consistently and hold on to it the longest, and who has the last possession? And I do think uh, I know we're not technically doing picks anymore, but I think uh, at least for these first couple of weeks until everybody starts getting involved. But I do think Miami, <laughs> despite what people might think, probably has the edge as far as ball control, exactly because of what you said, because of that Gus Malzahn style. Um, but, yeah, that's just my opinion. I don't know. I'll be interested to see how this one yeah, plays out. I, I kind of agree with you. I think the one thing that does hurt them is they didn't have a full spring to really install and build the offense. So I think that that's where Louisville gets a little bit of a bump is that they, they're in their second year with Satterfield in that offense, and I think that they'll they'll be able to do a little bit more. You know, Louisville was kind of the darling pick by a lot of talking heads this year going into the ACC that – Satterfield had come in and gotten a lot of buy-in. You know, Malik Cunningham can play. Tutu Atwell's a pretty darn good wide receiver. You know, their question was, uh, I've always heard him called, like, the anti-Pitt, where Pitt's Uh really good on defense and you question the offense. Uh, Louisville's kind of the other side of that coin where they're really, really good on offense, but you question if the defense can stop anyone. I don't even... I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I don't even know that I'd go that far. In fact, their defense looked pretty good, uh, honestly, last week. I mean, it didn't look, like, incredible, but it looked all right, uh, considering the opponent. Um, I don't know. I think Louisville's a better team than people give them credit for. Like, if you're looking at the numbers, I think most people were calling them, like, a top-four team in the ACC uh, coming into the season, and yet they're ranked 18th, which is actually behind Miami. I don't really understand how that works. Um but, yeah, you know, I, I think considering where most people are classifying the number three team in UNC, I think they're like, what, uh, number 12? Yeah, so it's a little bit of a fall off. But we'll see. I, I don't know. I'm excited to see how things play out. I just am – I feel like despite the hype, I don't think Louisville is going to live up to that. But that's more, I think, with the general mentality. Um, also, Miami tends to make dumb mistakes a lot. So, I don't know. Maybe they fuck it up. 
I don't know. Now I'm flip-flopping. I don't even know. I mean, you know, Derek King versus Malik Cunningham at quarterback is going to be a really fun matchup. Um, I love the Miami tight end, uh, Brevin Jordan. He's he's really good and is really fun to watch. And, again, the running backs there are pretty good. So I, I think it's going to be a really fun, really high-scoring game to watch. I'm also sad. The game that would have been uh, Virginia versus Virginia Tech postponed. That makes me sad. That would have been the best. I think they rescheduled that game at the end of the year. I yeah. I saw somewhere that they rescheduled that to the end of the year. Uh, they did, but, uh, I mean, that just would have made my week if that was a game. But we'll see. Yeah. Uh, it, like I said, it will be played again. Um, so, yeah, I think this is the last warm-up weekend, and we'll see how the teams come through, and then hopefully we'll see uh, some hype going into next week where we actually see – the SEC come in and we see some more top 25 matchups on the uh, week. So, fingers crossed. It should be uh, good college football on the way. Hopefully break yeah. us out of our COVID slump. Would be nice. All um, And if you don't want to watch college football, the U.S. opens this weekend. Uh, Justin Thomas is currently the leader in the clubhouse at five under with a couple of guys at four. Um, it's being played at winged foot in New York, which is historically considered one of the harder – U.S. Open courses, so you know that might be fun worth a watch if you don't really want to watch football. Yeah, I think there's also the League of Legends Worlds Championship is going on. Oh, yeah? nice. The play-ins, uh, so you got like weird teams playing into the matchup, and also all... the uh, NFL game tonight is Bengals Browns. Also, you could pick up a game of Among Us because that thing is really fun. I've been having a lot of fun with that one. Uh, Andrew, we should play now. I will never betray you. Ever. Well, I know you're absolutely the interloper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like how people... Even, t- <laughs> even if you're not, I will assume you are. No, I think that was funny, though. Um, this isn't a college football story, so I guess if you want to turn off the podcast, go for it. But, yeah, I think that was my favorite thing in my first game was, like, I didn't know how to play. I just kind of picked it up. And then, like, the first meeting, somebody had died, and everybody was like, you know, Logan's suspicious. I think I was yellow, so they were like, yellow's suspicious. We should kick him out. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Why Why do you think I'm suspicious? And sure enough, I died, and they were like, oh, it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah, I still got to figure that part out where it's just like, um, we're just randomly voting this guy off the island. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> But, yeah, we'll see. All right. Do you got anything else for us, Andrew? Um, English Premier League this weekend, but stupid NBT is selling their subscription, like, premium Peacock service, so they're putting out a bunch of the matches on Peacock, so I don't really want to pay $5 a month for another streaming service. Let's see. What is, what is on the sporting event schedule? There's a Bass Pro Shop NRA night race. The French Open starts this weekend, apparently. Tennis? Apparently. September 20th. September 20th. So it actually is like Sunday. But yeah, it does start this weekend. Um, I think I'm going to make tacos. What? Yeah, I think, I think we're making tacos on Saturday. Oh, you you guys are making tacos. I yeah, don't got no... I'm making tacos. I mean, you're more than welcome to come but it's kind of a long drive for tacos yeah it's a little awkward too i mean like if I, logan just shows up and eats tacos it's uncomfortable i mean the rule is we need 48 hour notice that's that's the rule 
Yep. Uh, a lot of base. There's a lot of baseball and stuff. So if yeah, I so what you're telling me is if I want to go for tacos, I got to make up my mind like right now. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I'm gonna wrap it up since we're not really talking about anything. Uh, to all our listeners, thanks for staying this long, and y'all have a good rest of your night. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>